friends, it's great to be back hosting Wasn't That Special, 50 years of Saturday Night Live. And I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Christian Schneider. My name's Scott Bertram. Hi, how are you? Christian, how are you? I'm good, not to be confused with Christy Christina, uh, E. Buzz Miller's uh, comely <laughs> sidekick, uh, played by Lorraine Newman in uh, a very tiny dress. You are much um, much smarter and have a better voice than Christine Christina. Are we calling this uh, 50 years of SNL or 15 years of SNL? You see what I did there? Ah, yes. For you keen listeners who have been with us and subscribe... And by the way, you can subscribe over at wasn'tthatspecial.com. We ask you to. We, we, we I don't want to say beg. That's, that's too strong of a term. But, but you know, <laughs> we strongly encourage you to go to wasn'tthatspecial.com. Join us on a monthly basis. Save some money on an annual basis or be our bestest friends. Be an executive producer. Anyone who joins up gets an EPUB copy of Christian's book, which is hilarious and funny and wonderful. And a whole lot of extra stuff, too, like emails with all of our innermost thoughts about these sketches. You'll see uh, links to clips from the show that we're talking about. Also, contemporaneous writings. We really try to be full-service providers as we review these seasons. But as we review these seasons, keen-eared listeners, Christian, might have noticed that in our Season 15 episode, we did not talk about one specific episode that technically exists outside of season 15. It was aired before the season even began, and it was a celebration. So this episode is a small, focused look at the SNL 15th anniversary show. Yeah, there's not a whole lot going on on the 15th anniversary show because there's only 15 years that they have to cover. But uh, we thought it was important to at least make uh, make mention that it exists and give us the chance to kind of comb through the first 15 seasons of SNL and the first 15 episodes of Wasn't That Special? Uh, because uh, we will pick out some of our favorite things uh, coming up here in a bit. But uh, first, I think we're going to talk about the special itself, which is interesting because it is mostly clips from the 15 years. There are some interstitial uh, monologues in here and there, but uh, mostly it's just kind of an excuse for Lorne Michaels to get all of his buddies together, <laughs> all the old cast members and some uh, other various and sundry celebrities in a room wearing tuxedos and uh, interacting. So uh, that's where we are. And this ran, what, like in the September before... It actually ran the season uh, right before the 15th season started. So none of the things that we discussed on the 15th uh, season episode will uh, is included in this. So right. We eliminate uh, them. We throw them out for consideration. Correct. This aired one week before season 15 premiered. So September 24th, 1989 is when this 15th anniversary show air, aired, as Christian said, a, a lot of previously viewed material. And and to me, it's a little weird. It's not like the 40th anniversary special, which I guess we'll talk about in uh, 50 weeks from now, something along those lines, <laughs> where, where they do do a lot of sketches. There's a lot of new stuff. There's a lot of people returning to the show to be on once again. This is... This is a compilation clips from various shows and then compilation music guests and then compilation political humor. And it is, uh, as you allude to, sort of an excuse for Lorne to get his friends together and celebrate SNL. We should say something about the position that it's in because it's the first time 
that I can remember, unless I'm forgetting something, Christian, where SNL sort of steps back and, uh, and applauds itself. And is it a position where they can applaud itself, right? The first five years fall apart when Lorne leaves. You get the Gene Domanian year, which is just awful. Dick Ebersole's years are somewhat year to year in terms of whether or not a show is going to be renewed. Dick leaves. Lorne comes back. Season 11, pilloried by many. This is sort of the first time that they take a breath and exhale and say, whoa, okay, I think we're coming back for season 15 and probably 16. We're kind of on solid ground. People think we're funny. All right, we've done a good job. Let's look at what we've done over the past 15 years. There is that sense to it, which I think is why perhaps it relies so much on the past, because it was an opportunity for them to say, all right, we've done all this stuff. It was pretty good. And we don't think we're going away anytime soon. Right. There was no sense in doing a fifth anniversary special because at that point, this, the show was uh, seemed like it was on its last legs. And the same thing after the 10th, there was so much uncertainty with uh, Lauren coming back and uh, the whole 10. You remember the, the, the 10th season was the one with Billy Crystal and Martin Short and all of that. Right. And we're going on into the 11th, which had a fairly underwhelming cast. So there were no guarantees that this show was going to was going to go on so it would have been stupid to have a 10th anniversary special and then the show gets canceled <laughs> a year later but this show we're coming off of season 14 which we both agree yes is the greatest season to date so the show is on firm footing you've got a killer cast uh, within a year you're going to start adding more to that cast and uh yeah the show's off and running so they finally decided to celebrate once once it was clear it was going to keep going on. There are, again, just a handful of new comedic moments on this show. And I'm not even sure we need to talk about all of them because some of them are so brief. There's a Chris Guest and Martin Short thing that comes and goes and isn't all that funny anyway. But how the show begins, maybe we start there and sort of hop around where we want to. The show begins backstage. Uh, we see Kevin Nealon, Victoria Jackson standing there speaking in uh, in whispered breath, in awe of all of the stars around them. Dan Aykroyd, Steve Martin, Billy Crystal. And they say, can you imagine, actually they use the phrase, being a fly on the wall, which is most appropriate these days. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall for those conversations, all that comedic genius, all those funny guys. I can't imagine the jokes that they're trading in the conversations. And then they take us inside this conversation with Aykroyd and Steve Martin and Billy Crystal. And what they're talking about is the points that they got paid on their last film and how the studios are screwing them out because they're taking a deduction of this on the director's salary and not giving them back-end points. And it's all about the business side of things, not the comedy side of things. What I'd give to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. I'm sure I was getting gross points, but it was adjusted gross. <laughs> And a 20% distribution fee. No. Wow, wow, wow. Listen to this. Disney gives me 50% of the net, but then they claim the director's gross as production cost. God, what a horror story. Do you guys still read the scripts that you're going to do? <laughs> this is great. Everybody's here. Look, isn't that Joan Cusack and Sam Kinsley? And that's where we transition uh, from that conversation into Lauren's office, where Lauren and a guy named Chevy Chase are, of course, if anyone knows SNL lore, eating popcorn in Lauren's office. There's always a fresh bowl of popcorn in Lauren's office. 
Yes, and then uh, you have uh, let's see, Piscopo's there, and uh, a Chevy wants a shirtless or a sleeveless Piscopo sleeveless. showing off his guns. Piscopo, yes, this is uh, this is the era after Piscopo left the show where he got jacked <laughs> and uh, kind of may may have ruined his career at that point. Chevy wants to go on. They give him a helmet. Uh, he he does a he does a bit where he walks amongst the audience and trips and he's wearing a football helmet because they're afraid he's going to fall. And then he has this bowl of popcorn that he dumps on a very famous person. Uh, and that person is Donald Trump, who was uh, in the audience for the 15th anniversary special. And then Chase, there's, there's some special effect, uh, some stunt man involved where he falls all the way yeah. down the stairs down to the down to the stage, and then he emerges from a uh, from a door to say, uh, I don't know if he says live from from New York, but uh, that was his usual deal. But yeah, and so then we're off and running. Well, one thing we should note during the opening credits is all the famous people, everybody's back except for one very big name. And yes. that's Eddie Murphy. And instead it says Eddie Murphy's entourage, who would in fact appear later on with Mary Tyler Moore. Eddie Murphy didn't come back for this. There was some bad blood apparently between Billy Crystal and Eddie Murphy. Billy had done a Playboy interview in which he said something about, I think Eddie's stand-up not being funny. It's something along those lines. <laughs> Eddie took very personal offense to this. And when the invitation went out from Lorne, Eddie came back and said, look, if Billy Crystal's there, I'm not coming. And Lauren said, well, Billy's already accepted. Like, I invited him and he's coming. And he was not he was not going to cancel Billy's appearance on the show. So Eddie said, okay, I'm not coming. And so they sort of wink at that in the opening uh, credits by saying, it's not Eddie Murphy tonight, just Eddie Murphy's entourage who will join us on this 15th anniversary spectacular. So we should mention that Tom Hanks opens the show with the monologue, which he, again, sort of with a wink says, it's always the weakest part of the show. And so he does the standard generic rundown. It's going to be a fun night. We've got a great musical act. The kids here are all very funny. That sort of standard patter he delivers as he starts the show. Convey the following information. How great it is to be here. How great it is to be in New York. What a week it's been. How the people are all around here are all a little crazy. And what a great show we have because we have a great musical guest with us. And so stay tuned. So <clears throat> anyway... It is great to be here! Oh, New York City? Oh, the, the cast, the crew, oh, what a week it's been. We have a great, Prince is with us, Paul Simon. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a great show. And then we kind of get into a clips package. Uh, he's talking about the first five years of the show. And uh, so basically they run through a bunch of the most famous clips from the original cast. Of course, we get uh, uh, the news for the hard of hearing. We get Belushi as Beethoven. Uh, Landshark is in there. Father Guido Sarducci. Uh, there's a weird bit where they actually include a piece from the Ruddles movie, which I thought was kind of strange. Like, that's not even an SNL uh, property. And yet they they put that in the uh, in the the best of for the first five years. You know, Jane, you ignorant slut is in there. Olympia Diner. Uh, I'm sure you were happy that uh, Theodoric of York was in there, mm -hmm. uh, the nerds. But yeah, so we uh, we hit all the highlights of the first five years, which 
Uh, if you want to go back and listen, we have uh, we discuss at length in the yes. first uh, in the first five episodes. It's probably worth it just to deal with these three montages here. A montage for the first five years, a montage for the second five years, and a montage for I guess the last four years technically, since it only runs through season fourteen. Uh, this first one is pretty bulletproof. I mean, you're dealing with the first five years, and so just about everything chosen here is Stone Cold classic type stuff. People generally seem to like Kien S. Mas, Mas Macho more than we did on our <laughs> show here, uh, but that's one King Tut's in there, right? So th- that's pretty well established. The next five years is essentially the Ebersol years because they ignore Gene Domanian's year completely, unless I miss <laughs> something specific. Yes, it's a sh- It's a shorter montage. And again, hits most of the highlights. It's odd they have one of Martin Short as Doug Henning, the magician, which I don't think about as being very memorable from that era, but okay. And the other weird one that's in this second five-year montage is they have the Chichi and Consuela uh, sketch, which is Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Mary Gross. And we both agreed it's pretty terrible. And I thought as I watch it, I'm like, oh, well... They had to have something from Julia there because she went on to be a big star on Seinfeld and they want to make sure they acknowledge and no, 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 no. This is 1989. Someone just picked Chi-Chi and Consuela because they actually liked it, which seems incomprehensible to me. Rich Hall as David Byrne yeah. is, is in this. Yes. That wasn't really a, a memorable bit, but, you know, you got time to fill. So uh, I suppose they, they felt, I mean, everything c- couldn't be Eddie. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you could just do the whole reel of, of, of just Eddie, but they throw Rich Hall in there. Um, they show, yeah, the Chi-Chi and Consuela thing, which is just awful. In the last couple of years... Again, they start with Tommy Flanagan, the first Liars uh, Club spot. And most things in here, again, work. There's a weird... I think it's weird that they chose uh, Plug Away for Lovitz, his Harvey Firestein impression, which is uh, fine, I guess. Uh, I am glad they included, because you sold me on this one, and I do like it more now than perhaps when we did the show, that the, the Hercules overdub, where Jim yeah. Downey is doing the voice as Bill Murray is on screen. Uh, that I, I enjoy. They include that in here. And all all the other... You know, the big stuff's in here. Church Lady, Sprockets, said that for you. <laughs> Derek Stevens, Tonto and Frankenstein and Tarzan. Uh, they do a very good job, I think, of an overview of all of those three eras of the show. I don't have any complaints with what they chose. Well, I wanted to make sure you also acknowledge Sweeney Sisters is in this. And Attitudes, uh, well. for some reason. Attitudes <laughs> is in this. Is show. Attitudes in there? I yes, don't remember that being in there. Oh, with, my uh, God. But with Malkovich, where he's uh, carving oh, Driftwood. Right. Yeah. The driftwood one, yes. <laughs> the, the other compilation parts here, there's a compilation of musical performances, which you'll be hard-pressed to find anywhere due to rights uh, obligations that uh, they did not wish to pay for the VHS version of the 15th anniversary show. So there is a montage of a whole bunch of musical acts. There's a montage montage of political humor, which I thought was haltingly short. Dennis Miller comes out, does an introduction for politics at SNL. Like, yeah, there's lots of politics. And there's one, two, three, four. There's four, four moments from 15 years. I thought that was odd and unusual. And then we need to talk about, I think, these other two montages, which are tributes to cast members who had passed away at this point. Gilda Radner, who gets an introduction from Jane Curtin and Lorraine Newman. And that's a very, uh, it's a very good compilation of clips from Gilda. There's Baba Wawa, there's Emily Latella, 
Nerds, Candy Slice, Bobby, Bobby Farber, who is actually one of my favorite Gilda characters from that era. Very nice. And then the second one starts out odd and uh, I think just underscores a point we make on the show. So there's a John Belushi tribute. Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi come out. And instead of being this heartfelt tribute to John, it ends up Dan and Jim settling scores. It just clanged. Uh, I they think Bob Woodward is a main target because of his book Wired. And they're just saying, hey, people have written a lot of bad stuff about John and it's all not true and they're jerks and they have no talent and they weren't here and they don't know what happened. And that's how they intro this montage to honor John Belushi. Okay. You know, a lot of things, a lot of things have been written about this show and the people on it. Most of it laid down by unfeeling, unqualified personnel. The fact is, all right, the fact is with John, his work speaks for itself. Bigger and louder than words written by these transitory specs. And the fact is that those who were here know and will always know. Those who weren't here will never know and will be forgotten. Here's John. Here's John, 1975-79. Mom, this one's for you. Agnes, we love you. Rewind it. And we see the parts they picked for John. And look, John was a great talent. John had some great characters, Samurai and um, Blues Brothers, of course, and Little Chocolate Donuts and those SNL commentaries were, or the, uh, the Weekend Update commentaries where he'd go crazy at the end. But I got to tell you, again, Christian, and, and this is, I think, one of our hottest takes ever on Wasn't That Special. You can find it in the older Wasn't That Special episode from, I think, season four. That's the one where John, that's John's last season. And we both made the point that watching these seasons and watching these episodes back to back and seeing how the how the cast members develop and what they bring to the show, that John's memory is stronger than his performance on the show. There's a little bit of I want to say inflation, but they remember the attitude, which is not unimportant, right, that he brought to the show. And he mm -hmm. was a guy who was a, a leading man. He was a guy who had a hit movie and also a hit album and brought a lot of that energy to the SNL stage. But if you look back and watch this Belushi montage at the end, you kind of say, oh, like they included him playing Liz Taylor and him playing Don Corleone and John Belushi Two, two instances of him being Hulk from the same sketch. Yeah. So in trying to find these legendary moments to tell us how great John Belushi was, I think they underscore our point and emphasize our point that on the show itself, on a year-to-year -year basis, he perhaps was not as strong as some people remember. Yeah, I mean, people remember John Belushi, Blues Brothers, but how many times were the Blues Brothers actually on SNL? Was it two? Two plus two the three? Bees, which was like an iteration of the Blues Brothers. So I think it's the Bees once, and I believe just two times, Blues Brothers. Yeah, I mean, uh, people look back and they think that they dominated the show, but you're right. You know, when people think of John Belushi, they think of John Belushi, the persona. They think of him as, you know, the the big charismatic uh you know guy the movie star uh he lived on the edge and uh you know he brought a sense of danger to the show and all of that is true but 
he was gone from the show a lot of times because of the problems that he was having with drugs and, and other things. And um, some of the characters that he, that he did are really not all that memorable. So you're right. Great talent. Uh, he had that kind of every man type of uh, type of vibe to him that people really, really took to. But uh, yeah, for the most part, he's, you know, a really good cast cast member, but uh didn't live up to kind of the, you know, the aura around him that he he got in public, popular culture. There are these other original pieces for the 15th anniversary show that that introduce some of these montages. Any thoughts on memorable moments from those, these these few and far between new comedic moments from the 15th anniversary special? I'm going to give you credit because the, on the Jan Hooks little interstitial, she talks about uh, her setting the record for playing the most whores in a sim- single episode. Yeah. Uh, four. And that is something that you picked up on. That's one of your data points on how they had trouble writing for the women on the show. And uh, so she she obviously noticed it. And uh, you noticed it uh, well before that she pointed it out. So kudos to you on that one. I played four that night, a high-priced call girl, a Mexican puta, a wartime trollop, and Jessica Hahn, who, although technically not a whore, was deemed acceptable by the judges. Now, in setting this new standard, I eclipsed the previous record of three, which had been held jointly by myself and Buck Henry. I'm Jan Hooks, and this has been another Saturday Night Live moment. There's, for some reason, even though the show is in the can, the show is recorded, there's so many clips, they are well short on time, it appears. They send Robin Williams out to just riff (laughs) and talk about celebrities in the audience uh, for a good four or five minutes. Like, they're way short on length for this show. Which, uh, you know, Gene Domanian solved that by sending Eddie Murphy out to do his stand-up routine, and Eddie's not there, so they send Robin Williams out there to just riff for four or five minutes. I don't want to talk about his his comedy, because the less said about that, the better, probably, at least in this situation. What I want to jump, the, jump off from here and say is all the random people in the crowd that I saw as I was watching. So, who do we see? Some of these people Robin Williams calls out. Edwin Newman's in the crowd. Uh, Dick Ebersol. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sam Kennison, Dana Carvey, Glenn Close, Phil Hartman, Joe Piscopo, Gary Busey is in the in the room. I saw <laughs> I saw Denny Dillon in the background sitting very close to Gilbert Gottfried. Tom Davis was there. Art Garfunkel, Elliot Gould. Also, I saw Ellen Zweibel, Catherine O'Hara, who was an SNL cast member for about a week. No no actual shows as we've talked about previously. Paul Schaefer, of course, is there. And then over the closing credits. For the show, they also sort of pan the audience and show us people. Tim Kazarinski is there. Uh, Jim Belushi, Mary Tyler Moore, Martin Short, Victoria Jackson, who looks embarrassed to be on camera for some reason. Lorraine <laughs> Newman, Joe Piscopo, Dana Carvey. And then there are two people that I I think I know who they are, but they're, you know, they're obscured by the credits and very quick cuts. I think that's Howard Hessman, I see. I think that's Howard Hessman. And then he the, very, twice. the very last person I think is Robin Duke. Is it Robin? Du- I think it's Robin Duke. You're a resident Robin Duke fan. So perhaps you can tell me <laughs> whether or not I'm right. I think that was Robin Duke. So they did get a lot of people in the room for, again, what amounted to them watching a bunch of clips on a screen. Joe Piscopo on a recent uh, podcast said that Robin Duke was a genius. So I feel vindicated. Uh, I am basically Joe Piscopo at this point. We've, I think we've <laughs> had the same career. So yeah, there's some other weird stuff going on in here. 
there's a Gary Weiss film in here for some reason. I have no reason. idea why. Who who advocated for the Gary Weiss film? That's my question. <laughs> I mean, they're running short, and they have a Gary Weiss film in there. Seems like they could have they could have filmed it uh, filled it with with something else uh, better than that. But uh, the compulsion commercial is in there. I, we both like that, but don't consider it necessarily an all time classic. Yeah, it's just kind of weird all along. All around. Uh, what's interesting is going to be how many people were in the crowd for this one that won't be invited back for the 50th. Yes. <laughs> like, not, uh, not enough room. Think, yeah. So, sorry, Nora Dunn. She's like standing out there trying to get in. Like, ah, your name's not on the list. Is <laughs> 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 Robin Duke going to be showing up for the 50th? Who knows? Find that um, unlikely, I would say. Right. One of the things that the people who have been to the show say that it's a very small audience. Yes. Uh, Studio 8H is very small, and you can't fit a whole lot of people in there, so it's a pretty small uh, guest list. But yeah. two, two new performances here for the show. Prince performs Electric Chair, and Paul Simon does Still Crazy After All These Years. Yes, can't get enough Paul Simon. <laughs> and, and, you know, you can't find the Paul Simon piece on the VHS release either, which, I mean, come on. Paul Simon's been on SNL 87 times, and he can't license his stuff for a silly VHS release for an anniversary show? Come on, Paul Simon! <laughs> Give it up! Uh, O.J. Simpson also here in... Uh, <laughs> he's thinking... He's uh, he's uh, remembering back to, in his moment on, on the show, which actually he tries to, to put off on Walter Payton because he says it's the first instance of a black man kissing a white man on network television. I don't know. Anything else you want to mention for the show itself? I, it's, I know we have not talked about it much or very long here, people. But again, so much of the show is just clips and old s- sketches from SNL in the past. Right. If you can go find it, you know, watch it. It's kind of a good highlight of everything that we've covered. And if you're interested, then go back and listen to us talk at length about all of this stuff uh, over the past uh 15 episodes, 14 episodes. Now this, this whole setup was just a mechanism for us to do two things. One, this is a free show available to all. So again, we encourage you to join us for more of this fine content at wasn'tthatspecial.com, wasn'tthatspecial.com. You also can find us on X, formerly Twitter, at 50 years of SNL, five zero years of SNL. So part of this is encouraging you to join us at wasn'tthatspecial.com. But the second part of doing this is the opportunity for us to also take a brief look back at the first 15 years of SNL, the first 14 years. You know what I mean? And we (laughs) thought we would sort of do what the show did, what the anniversary show did, which was compile our favorite sketches from each of these little time periods and also mention some of our favorite guest hosts from those time periods. So both Christian and I have a, a top five list of sketches from each of the three sections of time. And we sort of collaborated on the on the guest hosts because, to be honest, they're, they're going to be, the be the same. The great guest hosts are pretty darn obvious to people who are paying attention. So let's head on, on, uh, head on down that road, Christian. The, the first five years, you want to start, lead us off, tell us your, your five favorite sketches from the first five years of SNL. Uh, this is exciting. Now this is our chance to play SNL producer and uh, and create our own 15th anniversary show. All right, 1975 through 1980, the first five seasons uh, where you have the original cast. So I am starting 
Should we go five through one or one through five? I always think we lead up to number one. So f- five right. through one. Okay. At number five, one you if you're a fan of SNL, you've almost certainly seen, and that is Bassomatic. Uh, Dan Aykroyd blending fish and making it funny. Number four, another Aykroyd classic, Fred Garvin, male prostitute. Man at, uh, what is it, a ba- banking convention, insurance convention? Insurance convention, uh, I'm pretty sure. Oh, the, the, yeah, the woman is there, and uh, yeah. Fred Garvin is the male prostitute hired to to please her. Number three, from season one, episode four, the famous Candace Bergen episode, uh, she introduces this man as a genius, and he walks out on stage and proves it. She actually says, some people call him a genius. I'll let you make the decision. Uh, and I have decided that he is a genius, and it is, of course, Andy Kaufman, where he starts with his cannonball story, does an Archie Bunker imitation, and the timing is just perfect because he he tells these jokes that bomb on purpose, and people <laughs> laugh at him for it, and then his expression is such that he f- he gets angrier the more he thinks people are laughing at him, mm-hmm. and then that makes people laugh even more, and it's just, it, it's a mousetrap that's, it's so tightly wound and it's so perfect and uh it's just just legendary right. so he's got to, um, he he has to get the reaction he needs from the crowd in order for the whole thing to work and i think right. that's tougher than you might think it is so again like you said it's so tightly wound it is so perfectly paced and he knows exactly what he has to do to get the reaction he needs from the crowd for it all to fit into place Right. It's audience participation, except the audience doesn't know it, that they're participating in this. And uh, it's just genius because he, he makes them do what he needs them to on command. Um, number two, two wild and crazy guys. It is the Festrunk Brothers from season three. Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd uh, doing the famous Czech Brothers. Uh just genius. How many Astro sign medallions can you wear? I don't know. Next time, try five of them. <laughs> Let's go, checks. Let's swing. It's okay, Cliff. Men of Markham girls enjoy you too. They enjoy your protruding buttocks all the time. <laughs> so get off my back, you big sex machine. Let's get it out! So, now you know, we are two wild and crazy guys! And number one, this is the first point in the show, I think it's from episode seven of season one, where, uh, and I've said this before, this is where you knew the show was both live and uh could be dangerous and it is the Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor word association uh, bit where um, you know they they do some word association and end up using words that you would not find on SNL these days apparently you could still find them on SNL and um, 15 years later because yes, uh, we'll you can. talk about that <laughs> but uh, yeah so it's just a brilliant sketch. Uh, it was written, it was actually written by Paul Mooney, who, a writer who Richard Pryor had actually brought with him. And it's just, it, it hits all the boxes. It's, it's social satire. It's dangerous. It's hilarious. 
Uh, it's everything that SNL could be in this one sketch. And uh, it's really what I think set the show off. So those are my top five for the first five years. All right. I think we've got one crossover. Not too bad. We. Yeah. I'll start with uh, number five. And it's a fifth season sketch. And in looking back and reviewing for this list, um, I, re- I was reminded that while the fifth season was pretty darn uneven and had more, let's just face it, bad moments than maybe the other four seasons combined, except for season right. one, the heights were still pretty darn high. And the one sketch that I recall loving is First He Cries yes. with Bill Murray. And his wife is diagnosed with cancer. And instead of focusing on the woman and what it means for her and her trials and tribulations, the the attention focuses on him and what it means for him and what it means for him that he can't touch his wife's breasts anymore. And they got a ton of complaints about it. I think Lorraine Newman also didn't love the the sketch. But it's people who I, I think, I'll be generous, are just misunderstanding the humor in this sketch to turn the focus completely around and make the man the victim, the the man who is the one going to be affected, the man who is going through the worst time of his life, the worst part of his life because his wife has breast cancer is very funny. It's very funny. And Bill Murray plays it very well. I think it's so well executed and a great part of season five. That's my number five. Number and there are still there are still websites that are misunderstanding that. Yeah, just I, I saw one just the other day. Like, did SNL go too far on this? It's like, what do you? You have to see it, and you know, you, you can't say it's offensive because it's not offensive. You have to understand what they're satirizing. You can say it's not funny. That's fine, but those are two different things. Is that is that your only one from season five? That is, as I look very quickly. Yes, my only one from season five. Okay, I definitely thought you were going Lord and Lady Douchebag on that one. That but. was number six. Just, okay. <laughs> just uh, literally, it's I have a number. Six six right next to douchebag on my notes. <laughs> it's true. That's so, not your shopping list, is it? It's not. No, no, no. Okay, um, good. So that one just missed. Number four is the consumer probe sketch with Dan Aykroyd and yep. Jane Curtin. And this is the, the bag of glass sketch and the dangerous toys that are being sold as Dan Aykroyd tries to explain them away in that perfectly smarmy character that he played in many iterations during those first four seasons on the show. Uh, and Jane, again, doing her uh, perfectly straight and um, sort of anchor to a sketch that she did so well during those first five years on the show. Wonderful back and forth, and Aykroyd just sells everything in the Consumer Probe sketch. Number three is Fred Garvin, male prostitute. Another (laughs) Aykroyd sketch, and one that is just as good as you hope it would be. That is one of the sketches that was seared in my memory from having, having watched SNL reruns on back then, was it MTV? I don't recall who even had the rights. It may have been or VH1, MTV, were aired those SNL first five year reruns late in the night. I recall seeing Fred Garvin, male prostitute, and that hooked me. Holds up, outstanding sketch. Number two is one that you didn't have on your list. I'm certain you will not be surprised. It's on my list. I very nearly put this higher, but there are. I, well, I could only make it one higher. So I very nearly made it number one, but there's one that's just a slightly better. But season one, 
and it barely involves any actual cast members. But Buck Henry, as the host of Talk Back <laughs> from season one, was a yep. revelation. I had never seen or heard that sketch before. And it is, it's, you know, very quickly, you can go back to our season one episode and hear a full breakdown. But Buck Henry plays a, a, a TV talk show host who is trying to get the phones to ring and can't. And so he starts with something very, you know, tax rates. I can't remember what it is. And then eventually gets more and more desperate and more and more uh, over the top in his, you know, I love Soviet, I love, I love communism, Soviet communism right here in our backyard. I'm for it. Give me a call. Talk back. And he can't get the phones to ring. And that manic energy that Buck brings to that role, it's perfectly written, wonderful escalation, laughed my ass off, great sketch, talk back. I, Frank Nolan, am ready to talk back to you in support of spending federal funds to bus known Soviet communists into your community now to teach your children and to live in your house whether you like it or not. Now, if anyone has another position and it's your right as an American to disagree, give me a call on one of these toll-free lines. Call me collect. I'll answer and I'll talk back to you. I'll talk. How about this? <laughs> Killing puppies. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. Number one from the first five years, Theodoric of York, uh, the medieval barber who also serves as the bloodletter for the community. This is one where Steve Martin's involved. Just about the entire cast is involved. It works on multiple levels from just being funny uh, based on what you see, but also being funny, uh, you know, taking the uh, t- taking the shots at, you know, oh, we th- we thought it was just uh, humors, but now we know it's a tiny frog that lives inside your your stomach or whatever they were saying. It's a wonderful sketch, extremely funny, and I think that's from season three, if I'm not mistaken, which is uh, the greatest season from these first five years. Theodoric of York, outstanding. Well, let's give her another bloodletting, Brunegilda. Yes, Theodoric. Take two pints. <laughs> yes, Theodoric. Will she be all right, Barber? Well, I'll do everything humanly possible. But unfortunately, we barbers are not gods. You know, medicine is not an exact science, but we're learning all the time. Why, why just 50 years ago, we would have thought your daughter's illness was brought on by demonic possession or witchcraft. <laughs> but nowadays, we know that Isabel is suffering from an imbalance of bodily humors, perhaps caused by a toad or a small dwarf living in her stomach. <laughs> One note on both of our lists. How many appearances did John Belushi make on all 10? Is he, I think he's in Theodoric of York, but only briefly, I think he's in Theodoric right? of New York, yep, yep. But he's, he's a bit player. But other than that, I think he goes... Oh, for the other nine. True. Well, again, sometimes we know what we're talking about here on Wasn't That Special, 50 Years of SNL. We also wanted to run down our favorite hosts, guest hosts from these first five years. As I said, we pretty much collaborated on this because the answers are somewhat obvious. Candace Bergen, who helped rescue the show very early on in that first season. Elliot Gould who uh, not just hosted an Emmy-winning show, but also one of the very first sort of complete shows that SNL had. Buck Henry, of course, is on this list. Steve Martin, of course, is on this list. Very few did it better than 
either of those two guys. And at number five is a name that I was not very familiar with at all before um, we started watching these shows. Richard Benjamin hosts, I believe, twice during these first five years, both times outstanding and both times bringing a lot to the sketches he's in. He's my fifth choice as we pick five hosts from these first five years. So we are close. I would swap out Richard Benjamin for a member of a comedy troupe that is my absolute favorite, and that is Monty Python, and who essentially becomes kind of an unofficial cast member <laughs> at some point, and it is Eric Idle, who hosts a couple times in the, in the first three seasons yep. and uh, just slides in there. He knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, they're, they're doing kind of what P- Python did, so he knows how to, how to chew a scene and, and make jokes and all that kind of stuff. So I would swap in uh, Eric Idle for, uh, for Richard Benjamin. Also, I just saw something. Uh, we just watched a sketch where Elliot Gould is uh, introduced as being one of the Five Timers Club, a member of the Five Timers Club. I would have guessed he hosted maybe twice. <laughs> I don't. Uh, snuck, I don't remember him hosting five cracks. times. Well, at don't all. forget see, uh, episode one of season six. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, so all right, maybe three times. I, w- I would have never guessed he he hosted five, but good for him. So the second five years, season six through season ten, is where we head for sketches and hosts. And again, if you want, we're going to try to move through this fairly quickly. If you want a more detailed analysis of these sketches and some thoughts on what makes them so great, head back to our older episodes, which you can get at wasn'tthatspecial.com. All right, the second second five years, I guess I'll lead off here with my five sketches. Uh, Number five, just making the cut, is that brilliant firing line sketch with Robin Mm -hmm. Williams as William F. Buckley and Eddie Murphy as the guest. And it doesn't really do it justice even to try to explain it here in in a short amount of time. But uh, the hook is that they're debating the fact that uh, black men are are more flammable. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, it makes sense in in the sketch. Um, Yes. Send all your emails to Scott Bertram. It makes sense (laughs) in the sketch. Go go check it out. Uh, Robin Williams, of course, does a great Buckley. There's good back and forth between Williams and 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 Murphy, and and the little twists and sort of surprises in the conversation and in some of the physical comedy is very good. I really like that firing line sketch. Number four um, is one that is. You had the, the prior sketch in the first five years as sort of, well, it's live and anything can happen. Well, it's live and anything can happen also applies to Club Doolittle, which on paper <laughs> yes. is probably not going to sort of, oh, wow you. Oh, yes, that's fantastic. But in execution, the the way that Murphy delivers the lines, uh, you know, promoting this, this sort of podunk club uh, that he owns – and Piscopo's in it, and they start throwing food and cake at each other, and it devolves just to the point where the ridiculousness all sort of makes sense and and converges upon itself. And you can't watch it without laughing. You cannot watch it without having a literal LOL. And so Club Doolittle makes my list at number four. Uh, it is pure. It is pure joy that you can't get from scripted television because yes. you know it's all happening there at the moment. It's Lightning in a bottle. The club do a little. <laughs> the club do a little. Located at 7094 
at the Jericho Turnpike in the First National Bank building, which features the 24-hour cash machine. So get your cash. We don't take credit cards at the Club Duelist. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, the James Brown Celebrity Hot Tub, which should not be anyone uh, surprised anyone is on this list. Shorter than you might think or shorter than you might remember, but, you know, worth every second, worth every penny. Number two, the Buckwheat Cold Open after the death. So not the, not the shooting of Buckwheat, but the, re- the reaction by the news uh, by Tom, was it Brokaw? Um, or Koppel, uh, Episcopo and Ted Koppel, as they cover Buckwheat's death on the next episode and sort of <laughs> lampooning the news coverage of showing the the killing over and over again and having a guest on saying, don't make the shooter a hero. And then and then uh, Brokaw saying, let's talk more about the shooter now. Let's find out more about him and his background. It's very well done. And people remember the shooting, and I don't know if they remember this the secondary sketch as well, but it's excellent. And then my number one comes from season ten. It's the oh. sixty. It's the sixty minutes on the novelty uh, items with um, with uh, Harry Shearer playing Wallace, Mike Wallace. It is so well done. Someone who loves sixty minutes has taken the time to wrote, write a fantastic, fantastic almost homage to the show and how they do their investigations, how they present them, how they produce them. And it's hilarious. And the best part, uh, the part that puts it over the top is the, the robot that tests the, the mechanized <laughs> robot that tests the whoopee cushions. So that is my number one sketch from this time frame. By the way, Mike, I think you spilled your coffee. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's only a joke. You see. And you believed it because it's a Minkman product. All right, that's very believable spilled coffee, gentlemen. But why should anyone watching care whether their 595 dribble glass is the best in the world? Because if you buy an inferior non-Minkman dribble glass and you put it to your lips and because of uneven glazing, suddenly you find yourself on the way to the emergency room with 15 stitches. This is no longer a maze and delight your friends. This is a lawsuit. But it doesn't end there. All right, I am very pleased that you took some deep cuts for your first couple. Um, That's very impressive. Uh, I am less impressed with your top three. But (laughs) number five is from season 10, male synchronized swimming with uh, uh, Martin Short playing his character Lawrence. Uh, he and Harry Shearer are male uh, synchronized swimmers training for the Olympics that are, are never going to come because there is no male synchronized swimming. And it's Christopher Guest as their coach, uh, teaching how, them how to point at each other. Uh, it's just genius. And it's a sign of things to come with these uh, Christopher Guest movies that are, that are going to be made that are uh, pretty much all uh, you know made up on the spot. So uh, so there's that. Uh, number four, I took a, a sketch from season six. And it is the very first Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. Uh, season six was just a Hindenburg of comedy. And then at the very end, they started uh, uh, letting Eddie loose. He comes up with Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. Allegedly, he was sitting around watching <laughs> Mr., uh, Mr. Rogers. He's like, we should do that in the hood. 
So uh, <laughs> he wrote Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, and that set off one of the greatest recurring sketches uh, in show history. So uh, got to give it up to that. Number three, we both have it at the same spot. Uh, James Brown's Celebrity Hot Tub wasn't uh, wasn't filmed during the season, as I recall. Correct. I think, That's uh, one of the ones they did before the season. Right. This is this is when Eddie. Uh, they didn't want to lose him, but they knew he was going to be out filming all these movies he was doing. So he filmed a bunch of stuff uh, before uh, before season. Uh, was it season nine? Eight nine? Yeah, before season nine even started. Uh, so so we've got that. Uh, number two, yes, Minkman Brothers movie, but Martin Short is in it as Nathan Thurm, right? Who, so just uh, as the icing to the this incredibly funny sketch, you throw in Nathan Thurm, who would go on to be one of my favorite characters uh, throughout the season. So, and then uh, number one, I'm taking I'm taking them all. I'm I'm pulling them all into one sketch: the assassination of Buckwheat. Uh, just the genius in in how. You know, they film it and then they keep going back to it. And it's it's prescient because it, it tells you how the media are going to cover stories pretty much the way they still do now, where, uh, you know, they just show it over and over and over again. And they have people on talking about, uh, you know, the things that they have no idea what they're talking about. And, uh, yeah, and they they do milk it a little bit uh, near the end with the, with the buckwheat stuff. I mean, they kill off buckwheat. And I think I, I looked up Eddie Murphy played buckwheat more after he was dead than, <laughs> <laughs> than before. So, uh, so when Buckwheat was assassinated, it, uh, it really, uh, the public really wanted to see more of it. So, uh, but that's my number one. In the deranged mind of the killer, he truly believes that if he killed someone famous, he'll become famous himself. And unfortunately, certain irresponsible members of the media are only too eager to turn these assassins into instant celebrities. Thank you, Doctor. Let's take a look at the man who killed Buckwheat, John David Stutz. John David Stutz, the man behind the gun. Brought to you by Mutual Life. Because you could die tomorrow. And I probably could have done all Eddie, but, uh, but I think these are all worthy. So, Best hosts from this second five-year period. Um, Stevie Wonder, just outstanding. Stevie Wonder is fantastic. Yes. Edwin Newman, big surprise, but so yeah. fantastic. And uh, the Suicide Hotline nearly made my list. Outstanding sketch. I thought Howard Cosell checked off the boxes to complete the job as host very well. George Carlin, in his second appearance as host, so much better than his first appearance. And he turned out to be a pretty good actor. And then Sid Caesar for somewhat... I would say nostalgic reasons, but Sid Caesar mm-hmm. is one of the main reasons that SNL exists. People on the show as it started worshipped him, and even people on the show at this point on SNL worshipped him. You saw the love they had for him, the respect they had for him and his humor throughout the entire night, and especially during the good nights. And so he's my he's my fifth. Okay, I'm not sure who I'm swapping out here, but I will take Joan Rivers. I really enjoyed her episode. I thought she was game. She knew what she was doing. They gave her a lot of good stuff to kind of use her stand-up. She's basically a stand-up comedian in, in a bunch of the stuff, but uh, I th- thought it worked great, and uh, I thought she was, a, she was a great host. Last era here of the first 15 years as they broke them up on the 15th anniversary show, we're looking at best sketches, top five sketches from this third era, so to speak, of SNL. Christian, yes. again, you get the chance to steal from me. Go first. All right, and we are, uh, we're only doing four seasons here, so... Um, 
My number five, this is the first time I think I'm, I'm really going into the, into the deep cut well, although it can't be that much of a deep cut because the 15th anniversary special that actually won, ran uh, used this. And it is uh, an Andy Breckman sketch called You Can Pick Your Friends, You Can Pick Your Nose, But You Can't Pick Your Friend's Nose. Uh, and watching it on the 15th anniversary special reminded me how much, how much I enjoyed this. It's from season 11, which is a pretty crappy season. Uh, so I figured I should have at least one in there from, from, from that season. Number four, I suspect you're not going to have this on your uh, list, but it is the first Sprockets, which is season 14. How could you think I wouldn't include Sprockets? That's you have a, <laughs> uh, yeah, your story has become tiresome. There's a new cast member in season 14, and he comes in in the back third of the season and begins uh, dominating some of these sketches, and one of them is Sprockets. And the very first one has Ben Stiller, a cast member, who was only there for four episodes, as uh, playing Butch Patrick, who is uh, Eddie Munster. And the jokes are great. The lines are great. Uh, he touches the monkey, uh, and I just think it's one of my favorite characters on the show, and I, I got to give it up. I have a bias towards first ever sketches, and so uh, so I got Sprockets at number four, number three, one we both loved, which is Robot Repair from season fourteen. Uh, this one is a Jack Handy sketch. It's perfect in escalation. It's perfect in uh, wordplay. It's everything that you want from from a sketch, and it doesn't get nearly the respect that it deserves in the uh, in the annals of SNL. Um, number two, Citywide Change Bank, which is led primarily by uh, Jim Downey, uh, not a cast member but head writer. And it is the bank where you can go get change made. <laughs> and he talks, Downey has said that his favorite type of humor is when uh, you have somebody calmly explaining something that needs no explanation. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's, I've always said there's nothing more uh, that gets me more excited than being lectured to by a dumbass. And uh, this this kind of feels like like it, and uh, so it's a great one. It's a filmed commercial. It's not actually even a sketch, uh, but it's classic. I've had people come in with wrinkled ten dollar bills who want new crisp bills to put in birthday cards, and we can handle special requests like that. Usually the same day. I just returned from a business trip to London, and all the cash I had was a five pound note. Citywide wasn't able to convert it to dollars, but they did give me four guineas, two crowns, four shillings, and ten pence. All the time our customers ask us, how do you make money doing this? The answer is simple. Volume. <laughs> That's what we do. And then, from season 12, uh, the number one sketch that I had was Phil Hartman as Ronald Reagan. Uh, it's just a master class in acting, uh, in comedy, they finally unlocked Ronald Reagan. You know, previous Harry Shearer had done it before. Other people had done Reagan before, and nobody ever really got got to it. And you know, Phil Phil Hartman is the one that finally did. Where in some segments he's uh, an evil genius, and he can remember uh, you know exchange rates and things like that. And then he immediately flips, and he's talking to a Girl Scout like like he's basically on her level, um, kind of playing up the, the dunce that uh, everybody thought he was. Not everybody, but uh, a lot of people did it at the time. So uh, those are my five. 
My five begins with number five, The Family Ties Flashback, which, much like the 60-minute sketch, works so well because someone who clearly loves and adores Family Ties has seen a ton of episodes and now writes a sketch taking all that knowledge, putting it in one place. But even if it weren't Family Ties, the Russian doll aspect of this show, the flashback inside a flashback inside a flashback, is brilliant. And the fact they pulled it off live with only some wavy lines to uh, to give them, a, you know, brief seconds to change a costume or move, you know, move places in the, in, the, in, the, in the kitchen. It's just brilliant. Really well done. My number four, I thought you were going to choose this one. And this is one that I love more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And it's from Eleven, in fact. George Went trying to sell us whale. Yes. Uh, in the, in the, in the fish shop. The first time I saw it, of course, I liked it. And each subsequent time, it gets better and better. I I wish it had a slightly better ending, just slightly, but still really excellent as George Went plays a fish shop owner who has a massive whale in his fish shop, and he can't sell the whale meat no matter how hard he tries. It's so I considered this one, yes. Uh, Number three, Debate 88, the very classic debate sketch with Michael Dukakis and George H.W. Bush. I said on the show, which you can hear again, wasn't that special.com. Uh, you could break this sketch into five different sketches and have five different five star sketches. That's how much good is shoveled into this debate 88 sketch uh, from start to finish. Simply outstanding. And the blueprint for debate sketches well into the future on SNL. Number two, robot repair, which you already talked about. Brilliant Phil Hartman, brilliant Jack Handy piece. Everyone should see Robot Repair. And my number one sketch from this era, maybe appropriately we end this way, is your number one sketch from this era. I think it is the second greatest political sketch in show history. It is a monumental achievement for where the show was at the time and how much trouble they had finding the ears on Ronald Reagan. This was the first time Phil Hartman played Ronald Reagan, and he gives us Ronald Reagan mastermind. Again, start to finish, a brilliant job. This is uh, Downey and Franken and a third writer. Is it George Weigel? I can't. There's a third writer involved in this one. I should have written it down. But just brilliant. Brilliant script. Brilliant acting. All the uh, supporting guys are, are fantastic. We have a Jimmy Stewart impression from Dana Carvey. Second greatest political sketch in SNL's history. Back to work! Come on. Right. Afghanistan needs more money. We've got 65.2 million tucked away in Zurich. Now, if we hold it there for another 30 days at 7.28% interest, that's roughly $400,000. Three hundred ninety-seven thousand two hundred and eighty-five. I know. Don't waste my time. But if we take out only twenty million, we'll lose roughly. Let's see. That's uh, one hundred twenty-one thousand eight hundred and sixteen. Thank you so much. Yes. Mr. President, it's Mr. Karan Hassan Fassan. Ah, put him on the speaker. Rana, do me the favor to let me cross him. And if you want to know what the greatest one is, you're going to have to join us <laughs> in the future at wasn'tthatspecial.com or keep up with us at 50 Years of SNL on Twitter or X50 Years of SNL.
And Christian will close up this special show looking at the SNL 15th anniversary broadcast by uh, listing our five favorite top five guest hosts from this last section of SNL history. And uh, these, they had tremendous guests during this time. But season 15 is going to introduce a whole new set of great guests. So the next anniversary show, which I think is 25, we'll, we'll have other guests to talk about. These five years, though, there's a couple of no-brainers. Well, there's one no-brainer. Tom Hanks is on this list of five, quite clearly. As I mentioned, we did most of this together. So I think on this list for me, Leslie Nielsen, who was a great fit and the writers knew how to write for him on the show. Yep. Uh, George Wendt was outstanding. John Larroquette, who's an outstanding actor. I'm a huge fan. I thought both of his appearances were great. And my last slot here goes to R.I.P., rest in peace, Mr. Carl Weathers, someone who I had virtually no expectations of as a guest host, and he knocked it out of the park. Carl Weathers was a fantastic SNL host. Absolutely. He got, uh, he, he, he got the assignment and, uh, and did really well. I would swap out. I hate to do this now that we said all these nice things about Carl Weathers. I might swap out uh, Weathers for John Malkovich, who in yes. uh, season 14 was just outstanding. He was in my favorite sketch of that year. Uh, Johnny Canal, uh, he was in a number of other things. And he just kind of has that kind of Christopher Walken mm-hmm. creepiness and uh, earnestness that... Uh, I think plays really well off of the other craziness that's going on on the show. So I'd go, I'd go Malkovich. Speaking of craziness going on, I guess we'll just mention briefly one host who has been on often and is not on any of these lists people might expect is Robin Williams. And uh, <laughs> actually he was in the sketch, the firing line sketch I mentioned previously, but I, I'm, you know, my priors, I'm not a giant Robin Williams fan anyway. And while there were a few highlights from those shows, I think we both agree as time went on, the show ceded too much authority, um, authority, creativity to simply allowing Robin Williams to be Robin Williams. So they underwrote virtually everything and told Robin Williams, go out and do your thing. And that led to some some not great shows. Yeah. uh, As you mentioned before, Robin Williams essentially became Lily Tomlin. And uh, I noticed I noticed Lily Tomlin wasn't on your your list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Robin Williams thing at uh, on the 15th anniversary special is less than stellar. But uh, he gets to walk around and glad hand some celebrities in the crowd because, yeah, they end up short and he has to he has to talk about them. So hey, that's it. As Frank Sinatra soon would tell us, that's a sweat act. That's season, <laughs> Which is perfect. Season 16 on the Sinatra Group. I'm going to use that line from now until the end of time. It is perfect. It's a sweat <laughs> act. All right, there's the five guests, top five guest hosts from this last section of SNL. First 15 years, it went all right, Christian. Now we've got to do it um, three and a half more more times. times. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. For Christian Schneider, Scott Bertram, please join us at wasn'tthatspecial.com.